Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. Today we welcome back Jensen to discuss NFL, AFL, soccer and a lot more. Jensen, welcome back. Hey Mo, thanks. Great to be back. Uh, thank you for inviting us again. Yeah, looking forward to dissecting a few couple of big weeks of sport. Yeah man, it's uh, going to be a very busy show. Um, just before we kick off, today's been a pretty cloudy, rainy day in, in Brisbane, Jensen, so I've spent pretty much all day watching college hoops and uh, <laughs> they're currently in you know March Madness which we'd advertised as well on the on the pod we've got a bit of a group going um, which is a lot yeah. of fun but man like watching these guys today there was a couple of games that were crazy so first of all my brackets completely shattered so I had <laughs> um I had North Carolina winning the whole thing and they crashed out to Auburn who had an amazing game and they couldn't miss anything they were just banking Shots left, right, and center, and North Carolina just couldn't uh, get on top there. So there goes my bracket. I mean, I was already eighth out of 14. (laughs) So um, now I'll definitely have no chance of winning. Well, that's the thing, though. It's a knockout tournament, right? One, you get one one game to win it. And yeah, as we know, all these knockout brackets, it's uh, anybody's game on any day. So yeah, I mean, it's understandable that, you know, Auburn hit it hot when they did and North Carolina kind of fizzled out and got cold. Absolutely, man. I think they were one of very few teams, maybe the Zags, if, if they get it together, that could have actually put up a, a fight to Duke, who incidentally, and I don't know if anyone saw what happened in, so this is now the Sweet 16 that they played today and yesterday. So before that, obviously, round of 32, they made it through by the skin of their teeth. Uh, there was a putback to a shot and it just literally rolled off the ring and it wouldn't go in for the other team and they made it through to the Sweet 16 and then today versus Virginia Tech Virginia Tech were two points down they had the ball uh, at the at Duke's baseline so on, on their offensive end and they ran a great play so the player that Zion was defending he rolled around the screen he started on the baseline rolled around the screen towards the ring and the inbound pass was like an LU pass to him now he oh. He caught it midair, and I think he didn't think he had as much time as he really did. He had 1.1 seconds, which is, a, which is a lot of time. I think he – I don't know why he thought he had less, but he sort of tried to almost volleyball the ball back into the net rather than oh. properly gather it. You know, like that volleyball pass when they – it's like a touch pass. So he did that instead of actually gathering properly in midair and sort of laying it in because he you know a second is a long time trust me guys and for those who don't follow basketball closely it is a long time he had plenty of time and yeah so it fell short it like I barely hit the ring and and that was it so they've escaped now you know two games in a row and you know when things are meant to be and everything just falls into place for you it's one of those seasons it looks like for Duke because the last two games they could have easily been eliminated like you said I mean it's uh, all fall into place they seem to have the magic formula between Zion and uh, his name RJ Barrett seem to be a really great tandem and you know, love pulling in for each other and the rest of the team. But yeah, that's that, those are two pretty close calls that they've had. And to your point, I think, I mean, at the college level, it's it's just ma- manic and it, it's 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 such hysteria that uh, surrounds every game. You know, every stadium that they play in, that you know, you couldn't blame really blame the uh, Virginia Tech guy for. I don't know, probably feeling the heat of the moment a bit there with the little touch pass, but that's the difference, I guess. I'm not sure if that guy's going to get drafted, but the difference between understanding the moment is what separates 
college players who can make a run at, uh, at the collegiate level in the NCAA tournament to NBA players who do it on a regular basis. So yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, lucky, lucky Duke there. Let's see, let's see if they can continue and continue this fairy tale, to- uh, fairy tale story for especially Zion. You know, I mean, like, wasn't it just three weeks ago that we were talking about him forfeiting the season and you know, just waiting to cash in his check at the uh, next NBA draft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I was one of those people, right? I mean, I, I still think it's the better um, outcome for him long-term, I understand. And he said, he said he wants to play basketball and that's why he's there. But for me, to be honest, like you're there not to get an education, which you're saying yourself, everyone knows you're going to go in the draft, right? And given the injury that he suffered, I'm like, everyone knows you're going to go, you know, top three or whatever it is, uh, just shut it down. You know, there's no reason to play, but, you know, fingers crossed he stays healthy. I mean, that's for me, that's the key, right? If he was going to be someone who was going to do four years of college, get a degree out of it and go into a normal job, I would have said, yes, come back and play. You don't know how many chances you get at this thing. Yeah. The fact that he's only there for those six or seven months, really, and then the moment Duke is either eliminated or they win the championship, he's packed his bags and he's out of there um, to a training camp to get ready for the for the combine. Yeah, but you're right. Look, they he, he was great again. I mean, he had 11, he shot 11 of 14. So he had 23 points. Again, you know, a lot of his shots are putbacks or offensive rebounds and he gets dunks. Look, he plays with a lot of energy. He does all the right things, the hustle. And I think that's, that's the key factor that he brings to the NBA. I'm still not fully sold on him from a skill standpoint and what he can actually do, especially because he's a bit un- undersized. I mean, he's... He's strong, definitely strong, but height-wise and stuff, he is undersized for the positions yeah. that he would play given uh, the type of players in the NBA right now. But, yeah, I mean, look, you got to ride your luck. And now it's um, two games where they've won literally because the other team couldn't make a dec- uh, simple layup, really. And sometimes that's what you need, right, to win, to win something. And you see that in every sport at every level. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, it's either... Um Roll of the roll the ball on the ring or uh, miss pass interference call. I don't know. It's yeah, it all comes down to that one little play. It really does. And you know, speaking of you know missed pass interference calls, which will bring um, <laughs> nightmares to many a Saints fan out of the US. <laughs> Let's um, kick this off by talking about. One of my favorite players, even though he plays for a team I hate or played for a team I hate, but definitely I'd say one of yours. So the the Gronk, as he is known, Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement, Jensen, after nine seasons yep. in the NFL. Uh, what is it? He's won three Super Bowls with, uh, with, with the Patriots, right? That's right. He's won three now. Didn't play, didn't play in a few of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, something in and of itself. But, I mean, his career speaks for himself. And I think you said nine years, but realistically, he he had DNPs for um, two of those years out with, uh, I think it was chronic shoulder. Oh, no, not shoulders, knee knee injuries and I think it's elbow or something like that. But, yeah, so he's, he's, he's copped his, more than his fair share of knocks. But, I mean, the guy just, his stats alone, um, if you look at a short span of his career, over the short span of his career, I mean, he's... Yes, he hasn't reached the uh, 10,000 yards mark, but if you look at his career averages for receptions, it's 15 yards How amazing, per, yeah. per reception. And you know what? It's If you want to duck into the postseason, how well he does there, it 
it's it's only a slight it's only a slight tail off in terms of yardage. It's fourteen fourteen point one or fourteen point three or whatever it is. So he gets it done in the tight moments because you know when it comes down to those tight moments and tight windows that the Patriots, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they are going to lean on their strongest weapons and just keep hammering it at home as long as it works. And that for the greatest longest amount of time was, is well was Rob Gronkowski. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame to let him go, but I mean, I think injuries were starting to take their toll on him regardless. And just the amount of workload and the amount that they depended on him pretty much on a game-to-game basis. I mean, to give you an idea, like, I mean, Mo, you, you know the tight end position. It's it's a very well-coveted position. My, my favorite, um, I have to say, after yeah. quarterback, tight end is my favorite position in the NFL. But, yep, go on. Because it's, it's a very versatile position, right? So you can, yeah. either, you can either stay in as an end and block or, what do you call it, or depending on the coverage, you can just bounce out and become a receiver, which to Rob Gronkowski's credit, he was amazing at both facets of the game. So like usually, you know, you draft a top heavy, top heavy tight end who's got slow feet, but quick hands. to sort of block specialize as a blocker, uh, which he did very well, but he also had very light touch and was very, uh, very quick for his size, which made him a huge mismatch against, um, you know, a lot of the slower linebackers and all that. So he could double as a receiver and yeah, that sort of, that dual threat aspect of his basically you're getting a two two for or two for one in terms of in terms of skill sets and an elite two for one at that. So I think that's what attributed to his greatness. And you know, there hasn't really been that dominant of a tight end or of a player at that position uh ever really. I mean, you know, yes, Tony Gonzalez has the career numbers uh for yardage, but he wasn't really known as a blocker. So he's sort of plays the uh, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey type of role where, you know, they're elite receivers, but, you know, when it came down for them, play like a, a 12 personnel or with, where they're only utilizing the one tight end, they, they couldn't really block if the, the scheme called for it. So, yeah, credit to Rob Gronkowski. He, he was hard. He played determined. He played with a youthful exuberance, which, you know, kept – kept his teammates morale up and, you know, uh, in an otherwise very sort of dreary down to gritty new England culture. Yeah. He'll be sorely missed, but I mean, Mo just digressing here. And I know I've taken up a lot of time, but he is a very, he's a, he's a very big part of uh, my footballing life. He's his agent came out recently and I don't know if he's sort of putting flyers out there or just maybe joshing around, but, he basically he made 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 a short uh, short slight at the notion of retirement, as if to say in jest, as if to say in jest, what is retirement anyway these days? Uh, which I don't know could open the doors for Rob possibly making a comeback uh, late in the season, maybe December, November. Well, maybe it's not even about that. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Gronk, but just on that point you you raised, it could be that you know what he's he's twenty nine, so for people out there. This guy's probably the most, one of the most impact, impactful players given the number of seasons and games he's actually played. So he's never played a full season since his second season in the league. And as Jensen mentioned, it's due to a lot of injuries, his elbow, his back. God knows how many chops he's copped to his legs because he's so big. He's so hard to bring down. So this guy's six foot six and he's about 
270 pounds. So what, what is that, 130 kilograms? Is, is that about right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, it's about right. I mean, yeah, that's probably the same as, probably the same as you, Mo. So like a, Oh, mate, you know, I'm, I'm about you know, 30 kilograms messing. less than that. Thank you. But um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, similar, well, you, you, <laughs> you carry the stature. So that's uh, <laughs> it's more meant as a compliment, if anything. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I think if I was 130, there'll be a lot, of, uh, a lot around the gut uh, right now. But Gronk was a solid 130 kilograms. And like you said, he was an amazing blocker, but he was also a great receiver and very mobile. Like he's, he could run after the catch, which is very important, right? Those extra yards that you can get. And, you know, just touching back on that 15-yard average, that is saying every time I throw this man the ball, I'm getting a first down. That's remarkable, right? Like that is like nothing anyone has seen. And on the whole what is retirement thing, what if Jensen, he is 29, he takes the year off, he gets his body better, right? Um, yep. Tom Brady's still around, not the season coming, the one after, midway through the season, they want to make another run. Gronk is feeling good. He can come back for half a season, don't you reckon? If that's something. Oh. I mean, I mean, they left the door open. I don't think he should come back. And famously, Gronk has never spent a penny of his wages from the NFL. It's all saved and invested. Are really cool because of his uh, profile, like you mentioned, you know, he's, he's very um, out there, He's always the life of the party. So he's been able to get a lot of endorsements and deals, et cetera. And so he's been able to live uh, off of all of that. And his salary that he was making from New England, he never touched a penny of it. So that's pretty impressive. So he doesn't really need the money, I don't think. And I think he needs to take care of his body, definitely. So look, amazing player. I really enjoyed watching him. Um, It was always a shame when he got injured. And I think it cost New England even more runs um, to the Super Bowl, to be honest, just having a player like this, especially in his prime in the early days, like in you know 2013, he only played seven games. In 2016, yeah. he was around for for eight games, but I think they won that year the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, yeah. so you know, great player. And you know what, Jensen, I was looking up after they announced his retirement, and I was looking at quarterback and receiver relationships in terms of passer ratings and targets and that sort of thing. So for a minimum at targets of 300, Tom Brady's passer rating to Gronk is 129.6. So, you know, it's ridiculously high. But you know what's also caught my eye? Out of the top five quarterback slash receiver passer ratings, four of the five are tight ends, Jensen. So... Yeah. There's there's Brady and Gronk. There's Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson, who I think retired as well, right? On the same day, he was trying to catch a bit of trying to catch a bit of uh, Rob's sort of heat. So uh, I don't think anyone him. can catch Rob's heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's larger than life. That one. Number three yeah. is the, a man you mentioned before, so Alex Smith and Travis Kelsey. And then number five is again Alex Smith with uh, Vernon Davis. And the only exception is Drew Brees with uh, Michael Thomas, who's an actual receiver at number four there. So, you know, and then that takes you to a different topic really around how important are wide receivers really in, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, they are very important, but in the grand scheme of things, when you see this sort of, if I need to go somewhere to guarantee we make a down, we make a play, we get those yards for an extra for a field goal for a touchdown or to run it in. 
all of these really great quarterbacks, really. Everyone there mentioned, except for Alex Smith, who's, you know, there and thereabouts. The others are great quarterbacks. You always go to your tight end. It's a tight end or um, a slot receiver, really, because you're looking at mm. that short to medium yardage between five to ten yards. And, you know, why would you even chance it? You know, even though you've got a, let's say, a star wide receiver like OBJ or Antonio Brown. It's like, well, it's too risky for you to lay it out close to the lines and on a on a sort of slant route, you know, somewhere outside the lines and or somewhere outside the numbers for somebody who might have a will probably have the opposition's best uh, corner playing on them and possibly double coverage um, with bringing one of the safeties in or something like that. It's it's yeah, it's too big of a risk to chance it on you know a third and six or a third and seven or even a, a third and five like anything around there like i mean you could flip a coin and choose either that play or you know um what do you call it? clear the middle and stack the box for a run or you can you know take your chances with the slot receiver and or tight end which yeah is very useful um which will be hard for new england to place in the short term i reckon but uh according to all the draft um, analysts that you talk to out there apparently this year's tight end draft this year is a big tight end draft so tight end heavy draft sorry yeah because could pick up talent there i was about to ask you actually where does that leave new england in terms of their depth chart with their tight ends because i don't think there's really any any true backup to uh, gronkowski on the on the roster right now is there yeah well i mean we we actually let go of our other tight end this uh this off season in Dwayne Allen. So we're definitely going to have to pick up one at the very least. And, you know, we might have to play Devlin who was a halfback in that sort of position which he has played like sparingly, but yeah, no, we'll definitely have to pick up some on the draft. Luckily for us, we have about 12 to 13 picks this season, this, uh, this draft. So yeah, that's right. You know, we'll see what we can do, <laughs> see what we can do there. But uh, there's a few offensive position holes for us i mean we need a wide need a deep threat uh with josh gordon still on our books but obviously suspended indefinitely and yeah tight end uh most certainly with rob gronkowski recently retiring so yeah it'll be interesting but i mean i'm sure i'm sure we can get to that in another podcast yeah i mean no one's feeling sorry for new england ah so you guys can struggle if you don't find one. No one really cares. But anyway. Get a for y'all, mate. Hey, just lastly on the NFL, they voted to introduce a new uh, rule for just this season as a trial, and that is to make pass interference calls uh, challengeable and reviewable uh, on the field. And obviously that's because of what happened um, to the Saints in you know, a game that clearly cost them because of a, a, a blown pass, pass interference call, which, you know, they would have marched the ball down and won. And so they've introduced this uh, new rule for this season. It's like, you know, it, it'll just be a challenge like every other thing that guys can challenge right now. Well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are uh, any added stoppages and if any difference towards the ump or referees it's probably not a good thing i mean you'd rather invest more time and effort into ensuring the referees are you know spot on and perfect with those calls rather than put the onus and put put the responsibility in the coaches hands which you know who are absolute control freaks and 
sort of won't, will never hesitate to raise a hand when they feel like the slightest the slightest call could go their way. So, I mean, you know, everybody seems to feel vindicated because, yes, there was the whole uh, hoopla about the whole um, missed PI call in that NFC uh, conference championship. But for me, it's just it's much to do about nothing. And I know, I know that's, that's not saying too much, but I mean, like you just need to trust, you just need to trust your referees and the system uh, a bit more. And I think, I think they've made too much of a hate and they made a call sort of in the heat of the moment, rather than taking another full season to um, sort of see if it's an actual problem. Because I mean, the refs, they get, they get the calls right 98% of the time. And I'm sure it's a pivotal call like that won't happen again in the, in the very near future. So I don't know, but we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll, we'll, Bill Belichick will, uh, won't, will definitely won't complain because he feels like there have been a lot of miss uh, pass interference calls with us. And it sort of closes the gap in terms of not having a deep wide threat. Uh, in terms of you know being able to pull out that challenge flag and possibly get a call if he feels it's there, so yeah, I I I don't feel like it's I don't feel like it was worth doing, but obviously I'm against the grain there in terms of the majority of the fans. Uh, yeah, so how do you feel, Mo? I'm um, I'm actually with you, mate. I think it's just another stoppage that the sport doesn't need. I mean, we keep talking about baseball and how long they go for. Uh, with the last two minutes of every half being reviewable, with the challenges, with the timeouts, with the stoppages after touchdowns, I mean, the NFL, um, you know, sort of start to end uh, coverage is quite long as it is. And ima- so imagine if you're a coach, right, and you get the call from upstairs because they can see instant replays. Like, so you have people who are sitting in a booth upstairs that are part of either your offensive coordinator or someone who calls plays so they can see the field a lot better. And imagine that every time they see something and you're throwing the flag, and then what happens if you get the call right every time? Do you get to keep your challenges? You do, right? I mean, that's what happens now. You get two challenges, but if you keep making the right call, you keep your challenge. So imagine if this really becomes, you know, abused, you know, in the game, how much longer every game will take and the delays we're going to experience. So, look, I'm not a big fan. I'm hoping they stop it after uh, this season. And it is it is a bit knee-jerk. I mean, look, what happened was it was such a blown call. I mean, that's I think that's what sort of drove it. It was such a blown call. It wasn't even a 50-50 maybe that they thought they needed to do something. But I do think yeah. it's a bit knee-jerk and hopefully um, it doesn't impact the, the quality of the spectacle. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's much similar to the, um, cast your mind back to now half a decade ago, but like the hack, shack, hack a bogut, all those things, just, you know, needless stoppages that just elongates the game out more than it really should be. I mean, it's already a three and a half hour spectacle, so uh, for the average game. Um, so, and you, and if you're talking about like a highlight, a high drama moment then, or high drama game, then you're looking at even longer. So yeah, I mean, I I think it's really knee jerk and I think Sean Payton will live to rue this whole campaign. It'd be a funny twist of uh, karma if his team suffered at the hands of this Mm. new rule coming uh, championship game or some sort of playoff game. Um, that would be, 
poetic injustice or justice, depending on which way you look at it. No, look, fair enough. And yeah, let's watch this space and see how it impacts next season. Awesome. Let's turn our attention to Europe, Jensen, and Manchester United have decided to sign Oli Solskjaer to a three-year deal. Um, That comes off the back of, obviously, Solskjaer took over when they sacked Mourinho and he was meant to be in a caretaker capacity, but then given the results he's achieved um, and the way the morale that has been around the stadium, both on the field and off, they felt like it was the right decision for them to sign him on now. Now, we both of us support uh, United and I'll, I'll just give my view first and then I'll, I'll get you to go. So I feel like it was a bit rushed. I don't think there was any need to lock him in right now. It's not like he's being sought after uh, by a million other clubs to get him on board. And even if he was, I still think where the United job were offered to him at the end of the season, I still think he would have taken it. And I say that, Jensen, because I was very worried after our last outing. I mean, the way we played against Wolves was a throwback to the Mourinho days. We had no energy, no zip, no one was moving. We hardly created any chances and we were really under siege by Wolves for most of the game. And, you know, I think 2-0 would have been a fair result. Romero had so much to do and then sort of Rashford, you know, he stole a goal at, at the end there. But when I saw that game... I was thinking, or you know what, maybe just let's give him till the end of the season, see how the team performs for the rest of the campaign. I mean, we're still in the Champions League and we still need to make the top four in the Premier League and see how it goes. And then based on that, decide whether to sign him or not. Because I still think we could have chased um, uh, Pochettino. I know that Tottenham moved into a new stadium but if they keep on the way they are and, you know, Maurizio wants to win stuff, so I still think we could have, um, you know, taken him off them if we offered him, you know, the right uh, conditions you know, to come to Manchester. So I think it was a bit rushed for no reason. You know, I love Oli. You know, he's given us great memories. And now that he's our coach, I'll always back him and give him the benefit of the doubt. But still, I thought it was a bit premature and we should have waited. Yeah, well, I mean... That's sort of been that's sort of been the trend line of um, our management or front office of the past decade or so, ever since uh, Fergie's retirement, is to make those brushed and often yeah hasteful decisions in terms of signings and or managerial um, hirings. You know, with Jose Mourinho being a stopgap, but not thinking towards the culture of the club, which is. I guess is more to the point now of, you know, it's sort of the sea change. They can feel the culture culture shift um, with the new management. So I guess that would be the number one reason why they would would make the signing. You know, the morale is lifted. We're playing attacking football to the most part, albeit that last game against the Wolves. But, yeah, like a reinvigorized side with Ole in there bodes well for us. But you're right, Mo. I mean, he still has to prove a lot of stuff. Like we're 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 sitting in fifth position right now, um, sandwiched between Arsenal and Chelsea, who only have three points in them um, between them for the top four. So, you know, making the top four and guaranteeing champions a Champions League spot is no guarantee at this stage. I don't know how. Ole is going to leverage this season based on maybe a good stretch between December to February uh, when he first started or a potential you know, Champions League run and you know the Cinderella upset against the 
juggernauts in Barcelona. I guess that he could definitely hang his hat on that if uh, the series goes well for us. But yeah, I mean, you know, not the type of calm and calculated decision that you would expect from front office. But I mean, if they were certain about their man, I guess better sign him now than later to cast away any aspersions that anybody might have against uh, Ole. I, I, I think, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm in agreement with you. The decision was rushed, but I don't necessarily disagree with it, all things considered. Yeah, look, and I mean, you know, uh, since uh, Alex Ferguson retired, Edward Wood hasn't proven himself to be honest to appraiser of coaching skills and talent. Um, at the club, like I know Moyes came with Fergie's sort of endorsement and, you know, it is what it is. It happened. Uh, you, you sort of move on from that. But the thing is, we need, which is in place in a lot of clubs, and it's actually a model uh, that's been followed in the US for a long time where they have sort of head of basketball operations, you know, GMs, you know, head of NFL football operations, that sort of thing. They call them technical directors uh, in the soccer leagues in Europe. And all the great teams right now have someone mostly in that position or similar at the very least. And for the longest time, we just haven't caught up with that because we had Fergie and he was a great security blanket and you could just, you know, keep going. But ever since he left, Ed Woodward needs to appoint someone who actually knows their football and can make a coaching decision based on the football the club wants to play. Like, the thing is, they sort of gave uh, Ole a sort of a mandate, right? He had like three th- three things to achieve, or, or there's three things that they want coaches to achieve at United. One is obviously to win. Um, number two is to play with an X factor, you know, that attacking flair that we're used to in scoring heaps of goals. And number three is to uh, sort of promote academy players and play people from the youth team. And so there are three yeah. things that uh, Solskjaer has brought to the team and they were they played heavily in their decision to sign him on right now. And look, and that's great. I mean, that's, that's what we do want. These are the things that we do want. And if that's what the decision is based on, then fantastic. But I still think given Ed's track record, it would have been good to have someone who knows their football that is part of this process. And he might have his sort of right-hand men and whoever they are. But look, from a financial standpoint, the guy's unmatched, right? We always get the best sponsorship deals. We have like a bigger network of ambassadors than anyone else. We're globally everywhere. The team makes a lot of money, which we don't see much, by the way, because of the Glazers' um, debt that they've, you know, sort of put on the team. But that's Mm. a different issue. So financially, he's fantastic. Mate, just get someone who knows their football to run the football department. Simple, really. And, okay, if the uh, appointment was based on these three things, then fantastic. You know, like I said, Ole did, you know, pick up morale. He's made everyone, you know, during the Ferguson years, they used to have to wear the suits with the United crest on them. They've reverted back to that. Everyone has to leave their headphones on the bus now. He always reminds them to sign autographs for fans waiting outside. So these sort of little things that make a difference around the club. But I'm still not sure, technically speaking, um, you know, formation-wise, his football knowledge, how far he can carry this team and I trust me I more than anyone else hope I'm proven wrong and you know I'll definitely give him the benefit of the doubt now that he's our manager so you know let's see how they go for the end of this season and who they actually bring in because I think that's the other key right is when the next season is starting this squad is not winning 
Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues. And and that is the goal for United. It's as simple as that. We, we aren't Arsenal, right? We're not going to settle for finishing fourth all the time. And we're not Liverpool, which is a bit better than Arsenal, but they usually settle for second uh, in the Premier League and then like a good run in the Champions League. So we're not there. We won't accept that. And so if he's going to take us there, then there has to be some changes in the roster as well. No, absolutely. Um, and I think to the original objectives set for him at the time as being a caretaker, those were great objectives for a caretaker. But, I mean, if he's interviewing for a head coaching job, then an amendment to those objectives would, would have been uh, preferable given um, that he's got a bit of the season left. And, yeah, no, let's, let's, hope, let's, hope, let's hope we're proven wrong there in terms of Ole, who's <laughs> still finding his feet maybe as a head coach, but he's uh, definitely got us watching again or watching games again, which is great. No, definitely. And look, I think part of it is also financial. I think they're only paying him. And I say only because it's, uh, you know, in, in uh, context, he's being paid 7 million pounds. So close to 14 million Australian dollars a season. Whereas Mourinho was paid 18 million uh, a season. So, so quite the discount there. And I think part of it is them having to still pay Mourinho for the years he hasn't served after he got sacked, which we're still on the books for. And uh, yeah. so, you know, paying a manager lesser money, which if you were going to get a really good manager, you would have had to pay in that 12 to 15 range. So I think they also did the maths on that, to be honest. I mean, it sounds a bit cynical, but knowing how Edward would thinks, I wouldn't be surprised if they did the maths and they thought, you know what? Let's sign him. The fans love him. Everyone's on board. Um, even if it doesn't work out, it would in hindsight look like it was the right decision. And so they went with it. So watch this yes. space and we'll, you know, we'll pick it up again towards the end of the season. Yep. No dramas. Awesome, man. Alrighty. Switching. We're sort of going um, cross continents here, Jensen. So we started with America. Oh, we're going left and right. I, I honestly, we went like to- I'm looking. I look at my notes to the left, to the right. I don't even know which way is up at this stage, Mo. So uh, we, I'm in your head. <laughs> we jumped We jumped the Atlantic from the US to Europe, and now we're going to make a, a huge jump from Europe back home. So let's talk about Thursday night football. So the AFL was on and there was a Thursday night game. Just before I start, thanks to everyone who's been contributing to our voice of the fan. So we, we plan to keep this going for the whole season and I'll be reaching out to you all at the end of every round to get your feedback and your quotes on how you think your team's going. And yeah, I think it's been well received and, and people like seeing how fans of their team are thinking and if, if everyone's on the same page. So Carlton, uh, not Carlton, see? See, it's always about Carlton. Can't help uh, it. Oh, well, um, that's so Col- right. <laughs> Collingwood played. You're going to get their best win this week, so. Oh God, that, be happy. That'll be um, that'll be the day, wouldn't it? So, uh, <laughs> Richmond hosted Collingwood at the MCG, right? And they got absolutely smashed um, by seven goals, just over seven goals, I think. Collingwood um, had a great game plan, which uh, they executed to a T, I thought, and had a lot of winners right around the ground. Um, Richmond, on the other hand, were without, obviously, Alex Rance. He's out for the season. And then during the game, Jack Rewald managed to hurt his wrist. And I think now he's out for four weeks. So, one, uh, did, did you get a chance to see any of that game? What yeah, was your I mean, impression? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I was, for the first half, I think I was actually playing a game of my own, dodgeball, uh, as you know. But then I managed to catch the other half, second half, at a pub close by. 
And um, from what I saw, it was, yeah, a lot of Collingwood winning, winning uh, at the stoppages and counteracting with, you know, with all their runners going in the outside. And I mean, date, uh, I know Maynard and, and, and other young and other young guns for the pies have been really great, but their addition or re reinstatement of Dane beams in that midfield is amazing because that guy is running carry and his strength around the ball is sort of dusty esque, which, which was great. And, you know, pivotal with, um, for them in vital moments there, but yeah, I mean the one-on-ones, you know, Richmond, Richmond also play heavy counter, heavy counter attacking uh, football. Uh, they just, I, I looked like they ran out of legs there at the end. Um, I mean, well, they, they were missing one of their two big, uh, big targets in revolt, but I mean, they also had Lynch there. Who's their new addition. Who's been killing it for them. And, you know, I think kicked a couple on the day, um, which meant he did his job, but yeah, not enough, not enough support around there to uh, sort of sustain that high octane, you know, high scoring game that we're so accustomed to seeing the modern Richmond team with. Yeah, look, I mean, like a few things, right? One is Collingwood, I, I don't know if they like broke a record or not, but the number of marks they took in the back half, just chipping, 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 making Richmond chase um, was really, you know, it was great to watch. It was great to see a game plan being actually executed and they did that really well. And I really thought Darcy Moore had a great game. Um, I sort of forgot who he was there for a second because I think he he missed a lot of last season with a hamstring hamstring inju- injury and he didn't play in their prelim either. Not that they needed him in that prelim that they smashed Richmond in last year, but he took a lot of intercept marks. He was everywhere that he needed to be on, uh, you know, Lynch and and Revolt, whoever he was playing on, at every contest. So I thought he had a really good game uh, in the back line. Uh, but then you know, talk of the town, the goey, right? So. Five goals, six marks uh, off of 15 positions. I mean, that guy's high impact. And after the, the breakthrough season that he had last year, right, uh, yep. you know, I think everyone can see the talent now. And key for the Pies, I think, is definitely re-signing him. He only signed a two-year deal and it expires in 2020. So I think, you know, now, now North's offer of a million a season doesn't seem too far-fetched, right? Yeah, well, that's why I'm just... Uh, going to quickly do my research to see if it was a Geelong Falcon at some stage, you know, because we've, we've uh, famously re-recruited a lot of those guys of, of late. So yeah, let's see if Geelong can make a million dollar offer. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where he played his, uh, his juniors. Actually, I don't think it was Geelong. Was he at Oakley Chargers or, or something? Uh, it was somewhere, somewhere in, somewhere in uh, Melbourne, yeah. I would say. And look, but, um, yeah, look, he's a gun. He's only 23. And look, I, I don't know if anyone thought he was going to be this good really when he first started because he he was going okay until he had his break, breakthrough season last year, right? Because, I mean, you look at his first uh, three seasons, Jensen, and he scored six goals, 16 goals, 14 goals. And then last season, he jumped from 14 to 48. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all right, he played seven more games, but even seven more games wouldn't bring you up from 14 to 48. Like, that is quite the leap, right? Nah, that's that's, and a, so, that's yeah. a big off-season. It and is, uh, isn't it? He just, you know, went to the next level. Everything was up. His kicks were up. Um, you know, his his marks were slightly up last year. His handballs were down, but that's good. That meant he was when he was getting the ball, he was either kicking it 
um, to a gar- target or having a shot on goal. I mean, that's how you end up with 50 goals a season. Yeah. So, just an amazing player. And it'll be really interesting to see how he goes with uh, Jamie Elliott. Um, they've reintroduced him uh, this season. I think he was injured for a couple of years now, Jamie. And so that forward line is uh, is going to be tough. Just interesting because it's not like a... I know Mason Cox gives them a target if they kick the ball the right way. And look, he's still... Everyone hangs, you know, hangs their hat on that game he had against Richmond. It, look, it is the outlier rather than the rule. Let's just say that. It was an amazing yeah. outlier. We all loved it. But the truth is that is not Mason Cox's level. He just had a game for the ages. But, you know, the go is only six foot two. So he's by no stretch sort of that key forward type uh, size. But he does play bigger than he is. And yeah. he's really strong. He took a specky as well. And, yeah, mate, I think, uh, to be honest, uh, if, you know, if he has a similar season to last year with the addition of, like you said, Dane Beams, Jamie El- Elliott, obviously Scott Pendlebury's class through the middle, Grundy, I yeah, think, is a great ruckman. Um, you know, I think they'll, they're going to go far. They will, definitely. Uh, I think on Dugowie as well, yeah, he, he's, he's sort of a hybrid between a big marking full forward and uh, sort of running half forward, centre-half forward type. Mm. Um, I think he creates a lot of his uh, chances and marks inside 50 out of separation. So he sort of sets up around, sets up around the box and um, pushes either left or right because he, he, um, he trusts his foot on an angle. You know, 45 on an angle is no problems for him. So, yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of his uh, touches that way. But um, definitely the modern forward that you would like to see somebody that's not too small, uh, not too big, very mobile and very strong break tackles if need be turn around and snap the goal. Yep. Now look, it was, it was good. It was, um, you know, I think Collingwood were in, in control the whole game, except, you know, they sort of switched off a bit in the second quarter and the Tigers kicked three goals in a row to get back in the game. But then once they got ahead, they steamrolled through it's going to get interesting now for Richmond, uh, Jensen. I mean, I had him finishing top at the start of the season, but a couple of injuries here and there, and all of a sudden the whole dynamic uh, changes. So Rance is out for the yeah. season, and Rewalt is out for four weeks, and they have the Giants at the Giants coming up next. So, you know, it doesn't get any easier. No, you're right. And, you know, these... For in terms of positioning and jostling for that top four spot to basically skip around, yeah, that could prove pivotal, and especially early on. I mean, this isn't the NFL where the Patriots are sort of discarding their first four games as an experiment and then playing in a weaker conference. There's a lot of good, consistent competition coming up every week in the AFL. And, you know, if you're not on your game, Brisbane Lions could be the ones taking you down. I mean, the only sure bet I think right now is Gold Coast um, in terms of a win. But even that proved a bit tough, uh, tough last week for the Saints. So, yeah, yeah there's no, no easy games in the AFL, in the in, uh, this year especially, more than most. I agree, mate. And look, the next four weeks without Rewalt, which they're saying that's how long he's going to be out for, are away to the Giants, away to Port, at home to Sydney and at home to Melbourne. So... None of these are easy games. 
and you could easily end up out of these games being um, two and two, and you find yourself after six games with a three and three record. So, you know, definitely not an ideal situation. And usually if you're going to finish top or close to the top, you're losing four games for the whole year, right? Um, Or, you know, maybe a bit more, I don't know, five games, four or five games, you know, you finish a season 17 and five or that, you know, thereabouts, and you're already three and three, that's, um, you know, that's not going to be very good. No, you're leveraging heavily on the the other three quarters of the season there. but, I mean, that's what key position injuries will do for you with Rance and Revolt being out. So, you know, let's let's hope Richmond can sustain and still provide us with um, a spectacle. No, awesome, mate. That's, um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. I thought it was interesting. Just given, you know, things change so quickly from week to week, you think a team's going to, uh, you know, kill it. And then two games later, you're just wondering if yeah. they're going to even make, make the top four or even the eight, yeah. depending how they go. So that- yeah, but I mean, you just to sort of remind yourself that the things that as the season goes on, that the teams will settle, the um, the cream of the crop will sort of shine out over the rest. So yeah, well, I, I have no doubt that Richmond will make the finals. It's just where they place themselves in terms of early win loss uh, sort of positioning. Yeah, now watch this space. And just one last point on the AFL. Even though by the time the podcast is released, the game would have happened, what's your tip for Geelong, Melbourne? Oh, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, played in Geelong, so with wet weather. So always favouring Geelong, obviously, because we practice out that way where uh, the weather is as temperamental as, well, I guess, what, oh, no, I want to say something controversial here, but let's say Mo without his coffee on a Monday morning. <laughs> 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 that is a good uh, yeah no but I mean Melbourne you know they beat us in uh, they beat us in a final last year they're very very good and a very underrated squad well this year I think they'll be properly rated as a secure lock in the top eight but yeah definitely not a walk in the park uh, for Geelong yeah no look I, I still think you guys should win especially up there but yeah Melbourne have a point to prove after their their game against Port to kick off the season where they were really expected to win and they just didn't show up. So, yeah, watch, watch this space. If they come out all guns blazing, it could be an interesting game. So let's see what happens. Okay, mm. so we're going to stay um, in Australia, but we're going to switch codes and we're going to talk about one of the greatest um, Australian sportsmen to represent our country. The one and only Tim Cahill has announced his retirement at the age of 39, you know, someone who's had a, a storage career. I think he started out uh, at Millwall when he was 19 years old um, back in 1998, Jensen. So, you know, I don't know if you can remember that far back. Uh, oh, I think the Power Rangers movie came out in that year. <laughs> um, that, that's, that's about the only highlight for me. No, so <laughs> I remember 98 because it was the first uh, football World Cup that I really watched closely. And yeah. uh, I was about, you know, it would have been 10 years old then, just about to turn 10 when it was on. It was, uh, for those who don't know, it was in France, 98. And I cried after the final, Jensen, because I, you know, supported Brazil and obviously Ronaldo and I had a Brazilian flag at home. And uh, oh. as everyone knows, of course, uh, France went on to win 3-0. They, they beat Brazil. Yeah. Zidane scored two headers 
uh, from corners, and then I think Petit scored a, a goal in the dying minute. So yeah, that, that's ninety eight. So that's how far back Timmy Cahill has been playing, and you know, great great career, notably with Millwall, and then really showed his quality at Everton. And, you know, on an international level, he always represented us the best way. I mean, he kicked 50 goals for his country. He always played bigger than he was. I mean, Timmy's 180 centimetres, but I don't think anyone had the spatial awareness, the timing and the power of his headers for as long as he played. I think, you know, out of anyone during that time, and I'm thinking about all the top strikers in the world, just that one skill. I mean, he didn't have the, the pace or the trickery of a lot of other players, granted, right? I'm, you know, I'm not trying to compare, to compare him to the greats, but when it came to hitting the ball, finding himself in the right position, um, Timmy was second to none. And, you know, we haven't been able to produce anyone like him. And, you know, the fact that he's been around now, so, you know, he's nearly 40, speaks to his, um, you know, his uh, health and the way he took care of himself to play for that long. What are your thoughts on Timmy? Yeah, I mean, Timmy, I think it was uh, the Athens uh, the Athens campaign, you know, where I first saw him and all well, I first paid attention really and Cahill was pivotal in that. And yeah, he's you're right, his headers, his timing, for such a small guy as well to find yourselves amongst these big oak trees of with, um, oak trees with like centre-backs uh, to just attack the ball at the right moment and find that little pocket of space and to head the ball and direct it with such power just uh, speaks to his tactical nous and instinctive uh instinctive capabilities to yeah be at the right place at the right time and i mean he's the reason why a lot of australians uh even followed and jumped uh, entertained the notion of you know switching codes um to soccer or international football uh, which is great. He's a great ambassador for the sport and he will probably still continue to be uh, for a long time coming uh, because you're right, we haven't produced anything close to Cahill of late. So, you know, uh, maybe Matt Ryan plays as goalkeeper, but I mean, that's that's not a super coveted position. It, it hardly draws enough um, fanfare and hysteria as, you know, a, a, a go-to goal scorer like Cahill was. Yeah, so no, I'll I'll definitely miss seeing him on the international stage, um, especially. Um, I haven't really followed him uh, towards the latter part of his career in terms of his stints in the A League, but yeah, definitely I'll definitely miss him and I'll remember him fondly. Um, <laughs> we're speaking as if he's passed away, but <laughs> I mean that's. In terms of in terms of relevance on the on the uh, sporting stage, I mean, look, you know, from a footballing standpoint, you know, his best days have been behind him for a number of years now. But he was always uh, sort of in our uh, front and center of everything, just because he came back and played in Melbourne, uh, you know, and that was a big deal. He was able to, I think, score a goal and assist very early on. Uh, as well, but then he had to leave because he wasn't getting enough playing time, etc. So he's always been thereabouts and we never took the time to just reflect back on his achievements for for club and country and you know for me you know the iconic moment for me from Timmy will be that goal he scored at the 2014 World Cup against the Netherlands um, out you know the Brazil World Cup when he scored that amazing volley which still stands as one of the best goals ever scored at a World Cup 
he hit that ball flush, mate, and oh, it was just a beautiful goal. If anyone, if oh, people haven't yeah. seen it, I really recommend you go on YouTube and have a look. Uh, go on YouTube and have a look at that goal. It's uh, you know perfect goal. You couldn't have um, hit that ball any sweeter, and it found uh, the top of the net. It was a really good game, actually. We had a decent team then, and we we brought it to the Dutch in that game. It was a good game. But yeah, uh, I just you know wanted to spend some time to acknowledge that he did really well. He probably even for, for a lot of people overachieved, right? No one expected him to do as well as he did at Everton. He kicked fifty six goals there. He captained the team for a while when Phil Neville uh, was was either injured and uh, or you know after he he finished off. You know, great player, great teammate, and hopefully he will be involved. I think one thing I've always spoken about, especially after our disastrous Asian Cup campaign, is that we don't have enough of our greats, I don't think, involved in our sports at the youth level um, to really bring that next generation through. And I'm hoping he will be involved somehow locally, even though now he's gone back to the UK to do some media work with the for the Premier League, etc. So he was on Optus Sports and that's where he announced his retirement actually. So yeah, just hoping he gets involved and more of them get involved because the um the state of football in our country isn't very good right now. Yeah, you're right. So I mean is to him involved at the youth level, maybe, you know, saying that sharing his experiences and maybe a kid here might pick up that sort of instinct that Cahill possesses and you know carries it all throughout uh, their career yeah absolutely and let's uh, finish off quickly I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions and I want you to tell right. me you know give, give me your answers yeah so yep we're going to talk quickly NBA I'm going to ask you who is the rookie of the year for me rookie of the year at the Luka Doncic for sure and sixth man? Uh, is Lou Williams still playing? He is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just give it to him because I can't really think of anybody else. <laughs> uh, defensive player of the year? Uh, Kawhi Leonard. And coach of the year? Coach of the year, probably Doc Rivers. Yeah, you'd give it to Doc considering the Clippers record. And finally, MVP. MVP for me would be... As much as I want to give it to the new kid on the block, Giannis, I'll give it to Harden because he's had more signature wins. But, you know, the caveat is he needs to pull his act together when it comes to postseason and playoffs. No more no-shows. He's a magician, but you don't want to be known for disappearing acts. Houdini's in the conference finals, right? So, you know, let's see what Harden can do. And I know it's still early, but who's coming out of the East and the West and who's winning it? I think my vet for the East is, uh, I want to say Toronto as a smoky, but uh, Philly for me. I like them. I like their personalities. I love Joel Embiid. Um, and obviously Ben Simmons is the Australian guy in there, Australian contingent. Philly for the East, West. Yeah, you got to say the Warriors as much as, you know, hoping for a Houston up- upset, but Warriors for sure. And to win it all? To win it all. Warriors, Kevin Durant, signature series, just as a farewell party and uh, to establish himself, if he hasn't already, as one of the greatest forwards of all time. Three championships, MVPs, scoring records for days. Um, yeah, Durant's signature series. Fair enough. Okay, look, I will give you a chance to um, – you'll get, you'll get a redo of these as we get into the playoffs as well. So it's, it is around oh, the corner. Thank you. 
But I thought I'd just go quick fire to see where you were. I mean, really, the regular season is more or less done. There's only like seven or eight games. Uh, there will be some shuffling when it comes to the playoff positions. But in terms of the awards, I don't think anything that will happen in the last six or seven games is going to change who would win, yeah. you know, defensive player, rookie of the year, coach of the year, sixth man, even I think, you know, people who have made up their mind on who they think the MVP is have done that and that won't change either. Um, in yeah. the last six games, I don't think, unless something, you know, disastrous happens. But yeah, so April 10th, playoffs will start yeah. and next week we have a playoff preview uh, special with Eric. So that'll be good fun. Oh, tune in. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Jensen. It was a pretty packed uh, episode today. Yeah, we got through a lot. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's that was great. It was, it, was, it was great to cross the ponds and I feel a bit discombobulated at the moment, uh, not going to lie. So I've just got to stop and get my bearings right. Around the world in 60 minutes instead of 60 days. Yeah. I think that's what we did. Uh, isn't that's it? it. That's it, Mo. I mean, expect nothing less from us. Good stuff, mate. Uh, thanks, Jensen, for joining and thank you everyone for listening in. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. Please provide us your feedback. Always look forward to it and we'll chat to you soon. Mm-hmm.